It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the game recap edition. Justin Ferguson here from Auburn, Alabama, checking in with you. Also in Auburn, Alabama, the man with the golden voice of the Dan Peck Radio Network. Dan Peck, how are we doing this morning, Dan? You know, Justin, when you talk about how my how great my voice is, it does it does make me worry that my opinions are invalid. I'm not just a not just a pretty voice over here, uh, Justin Ferguson. No, I do want to say shout out to the Peck Pack and the uh, and the 99 for 99ers, and uh, and yeah, what a what a weekend in Auburn uh, that we uh, that, that we just got to experience. Another person with a pretty voice uh, coming to you from uh, what did we de- what did we say we oh. determined. We determined what what the pit, the pit. Yes. Coming to you live from the pit an undisclosed location uh, on the ones and twos, making sure everything sounds and flows smoothly on this here podcast. Mr. Painter Sharpless. How are we doing, Painter? Doing well, doing well. All right, boys. It's time to talk about for the first time in over a month, an Auburn football victory. Uh, Auburn takes care of business and beats Mississippi State 27 to 13. In a game that, yeah, you know, was was fairly uneven in in how it flowed. But uh, if if you want to, you know, if you want to be dominant and then not so dominant, you want to get the dominance out of the way first, usually because it sets you up pretty well. Auburn went in twenty seven thirteen. Like I said, this was a game where Auburn did, I mean, exactly what they said they needed to do. Um, Hugh Free said it after the game on on Saturday. Um, you know, every time he talked in the media to the media this past week, he said, "Hey, we got to throw the ball. Um, you know, we got to be balanced." And Auburn came in and did the things that we thought they would be able to do against Mississippi State. This is a state team that has given up a lot in the back end of their defense. Um, really high completion percentages for the past month. They do have a pretty good pass rush, so try to avoid that by getting the ball out of Peyton Thorne's hands quickly. They did that opening drive, walked down the field, um, you know, five passes, I believe, on that drive. Uh, all of them, all but one of them are successful. Second drive, you know, even better uh, through the air. Javarius Johnson gets gets open deep and and scores a touchdown. You had a that first touchdown, Shane Hooks going up and getting a one-on-one catch and scoring. And after two drives, it was 14-3, to and Auburn got us through two drives. Auburn had had their best game through the air against a quality opponent all season. Just talking about the performance of Peyton Thorne and the Auburn passing game. You've got you've got a situation here where Auburn had a quarterback go 20 of 26, 230 yards, and three touchdowns. What is relevant about that uh, statistic is three of Peyton Thorne's six uh, incompletions were passes where he threw the ball away. He hadn't done that this year. Three throwaway passes. Additionally, uh, he had one that was dropped or at least ruled a drop on PFF, which means Peyton Thorne's adjusted completion percentage on Saturday was 91.3%. It was a career high for him in both adjusted and regular completion percentages. On top of that, though, Guys, this is the best adjusted completion percentage an Auburn quarterback has had in an SEC game since Jarrett Stidham in the 2017 Iron Bowl. This was a this was an opponent in Mississippi State that had weaknesses 
and Albert aggressively went after him. Um, Freeze talked about it all during the week that that's what they needed to do. We talked about it on our preview podcast. Hey, quick game, throw it, get it out of your hands, spread the field, make it work. And Auburn just went out and did it. Uh, this first half was phenomenal. Second half didn't throw the ball as much, but still was effective when they did. This was one of the best performances we've seen from an Auburn passing attack in a while. And additionally, guys, a lot of people will point to this and say, hey, well, yeah, Mississippi State's pass defense is bad. Auburn's played some bad pass defenses recently. LSU was a big one, and they couldn't get near the amount of success. Um, there was a concerted effort to change and be more aggressive through the air, do the stuff that had worked against Ole Miss down the stretch. They run a whole first half like it, and 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 should be to no one's surprise, Auburn gets the yardage that they need and a really, really great performance from Peyton Thorne. Uh, which you got to know changes the tone of this of this offense moving forward. Yeah, and especially a, a great first half. You know, the offense throttled down in the second half. I think in oh. part because they thought uh, that that it was going to be difficult without turnovers for Mississippi State uh, to come back in this game. But that first half offensively, it was a lot of what we talked about. You'd hope to see this off if you wanted to see progress. Before the end of the season, it needed to start against Mississippi State, and it probably needed to start through the air against Mississippi State. You know, Auburn's not going to, and, and I think it's probably true the rest of the season. It's going to be hard for Auburn to uh, to to keep defenses honest if they're not productive through the air, because defenses will want to key in on Auburn's run game. Even in the second half, Mississippi State was keying in with some success on Auburn's run game on certain drives. So yeah, I think it was really nice to see Peyton Thorne and the receivers. Cause it's not just Peyton Thorne. It's mm -hmm. a lot of these wide receivers that were able to, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to see uh, something good happen. You know, they were able to get uh, some uh, something positive on the board, which for Auburn's passing game, especially against power five opponents, there hadn't been uh, all that much this year to, uh, uh, to point to. Peyton Thorne had three passing touchdowns in the first half, including a a third touchdown on a I mean one of the best two minute drills I've seen Auburn run in a while. Uh, you know, walk down the field, score a touchdown, use only a little over a minute on the clock. Um, only needed one timeout in that whole stretch. But the big stat here: eleven, eleven different receivers or eleven different players catching passes from Peyton Thorne. That was all in the first half. Six receivers catch multiple passes in this game, and there could have been 12 um, pass catchers in this game. Brandon Frazier had a big third down conversion uh, in the fourth quarter that was called back due to an eligible receiver downfield, um, which was a pretty unfortunate penalty for Auburn uh, at a really bad time. But they spread the wealth, and... I tweeted this during the game yesterday um, because uh, somebody pointed the somebody on, on on Twitter was the first person to point out that 11, uh, 11 receiver thing to me, and it's like I, I think this is what Auburn's offense needs to look like when you don't have a dominant wide receiver one on this team. Jay Fair had three catches for twenty five yards. Rivaldo Fairweather had four catches for thirty one yards. 
And then everybody else had a one or two catches, not a ton of targets, but they just it was just popping the ball all over and truly making it feel like anybody could catch it. You had some plays, you know, one of the first, I think the first pass of the game uh, for Auburn, um, Caleb Burton's lined up out wide and he's not a traditional outside receiver, but he's got one-on-one coverage and he's a great route runner and, and quick throws, you know, beat that kind of coverage uh, pretty, pretty easily. And it's just moving around using a bunch of different guys. Jeremiah Cobb catching a touchdown pass on a beautifully just touch pass on the, on the, uh, on that, uh, to end that two minute drill, a lot of different guys got involved. And again, like, you're not going to see a dominant pass it, like receiving performance out of these guys. And I would be surprised if you saw anything happen this year. Cause even like Fairweather and Fair, um, those are two guys that are usually catching a little bit shorter passes than this, these chunks downfield and doing a lot of yak there. But man, I mean, this is, this is what you need to do. Have everybody be a threat. If, if no one's, if, if you don't have that go to guy, Make everybody on the field a threat to catch the ball. And between running backs, receivers, and tight ends, Auburn really did that on Saturday, and that's a huge development for this team. It seemed like, I mean, the only scholarship receivers you didn't see a lot of in the first half were Mardner and Shorter. I think felt like just about everybody else was was in the rotation and uh, and, and seeing the field and, and even getting targets. We talked about Cameron uh, Brown. Oh. I'm, I'm looking at the snap count right now i don't see mardner or uh shorter on here at all amari kelly got six snaps as well saw, saw 19 out there split out wide a couple of times not sure he got a target but i know kelly yeah. was uh kelly Coy, was out there coy moore uh played some and, and and didn't get it and didn't get a catch so i mean like it could get like you could add even more to it as well Oh, and I, and I think Coy Moore has showcased a burst on punt returns this yes. year that, that makes me sort of interested in in what it would look like if he started playing uh, offense a little bit more and, and, and getting the ball. Um, VAR, you know, the, the, the touchdown, you know, that's a guy we've been sort of speculating on, you know, what, what's his status, but but he, he able to separate and score. And it's been, the, it's been the best deep ball threat for Auburn for the last several years, and they and it works when you go after go after it. And then, and then Shane Hooks too, right? Like a guy Man. who's who's you know uh, it was eagerly anticipated what kind of season he would have. It's been up and down, uh, but, but he has a, a highlight in, in the in the touchdown he, on Saturday. He hadn't, he hadn't caught a ball since the A and M game, and been kind of faded out of the offense. And Auburn knew they were going to get that one on one shot on the outside with him, and he went up and got it, um, and 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 made a great play through a face mask too. Um, I think Caleb Burton also got a, got a face mask on on that opening drive. Referees had a had a bizarre day. Um, very selective in what they called throughout the throughout the day. Even as Hooks uh, hasn't been producing on the field, it feels like on you know when we go to these these viewing windows, he was consistently one of the first receivers up for for these drills. It was just a matter of translating that to. Uh, to to the to to the game on Saturday, and yeah, you got the highlight. Uh, n- nearly had another uh, you know catch r- right at the goal line on a, on a future drive, but but then the mm-hmm. the, the one uh, the one early got the scoring going. Uh, Painter, uh, this this performance from the passing game, I know that's something pretty much any, any Auburn fan has been waiting to see. What stood out to you about just the way Peyton Thorne and Auburn were able to kind of go to work against a team that you know struggled but they hadn't been doing this against anybody for a while 
Definitely fun. You know, we talked a lot about uh, when Auburn was struggling this season, and this is what uh, one a large part of uh, Hugh Freeze's hiring, certainly not the only reason, but a, a big part of it was that he's had a lot of success offensively, Auburn fans getting a taste of that. And and the other thing, not to make it totally about us, but I feel like this game did unfold in, in a way um, how we discuss in the, in the preview, which is that, Ferg, you had talked a lot about tempo perhaps playing a part in this, and it certainly did. Um, the other part, and I think this is beginning to unfold, is if Auburn can get a, get a win against Mississippi State, you look up at the schedule and go, all right, now things are positioned very nicely for Auburn to have some real momentum going into the Iron Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk probably briefly. Vanderbilt played Ole Miss on Saturday night, and Ole Miss really took it to them. And, and uh, Vanderbilt's – it's – continuing to kind of get a little worse for them throughout the season. We'll talk more about them. And, and glancing, the at your, glancing at your observations, I mean, the, you know, state certainly hadn't been great in, in past defense, but neither are Vandy and Arkansas, which yeah. certainly lends itself to uh, to the theme of, of Auburn gaining some momentum here. And, and that's, what I, that's what I'm saying. Like, you go back to, I know LSU is talented, uh, they've got they've got dudes, and I think they're playing a little better on defense here recently. But LSU was the wor- one of the worst pass defenses in the country when Auburn played them a few weeks ago, and Auburn couldn't do this. And it's that tempo, it's the timing, right? And and we had talked about hey, using using the tempo and and going a little bit more aggressively. That's where Peyton Thorne looks like he's at its best. That's where Philip Montgomery and Hugh Freeze have built a lot of their careers on. And I get it. Like you had a thin defense and and you didn't necessarily want to lengthen the game potentially against teams that were better than you at the time. But now you're in a position where you can definitely do that. And I mean, it was from the beginning. 11-yard run on the first play from Jarquez Hunter. What does Auburn do? Snaps immediately into, into no huddle mode. They didn't go hammer down the whole game, and obviously they didn't in the second half, and we will talk about that. Uh, don't worry. But in the first half, I think they were just really strategic about it, and it's like, hey, if something's working, keep that personnel group on the field and keep and keep loading it up on them. And that, that's what you need to do. And Auburn's got some games coming up. You're right. Vanderbilt and Arkansas um, have not been elite on defense this season. Um, I, Arkansas's problems more on the offensive side of the ball than, than the defensive side of the ball. But these are games where you can take advantage of that, and you're right. Have some momentum that, you know, in a, in a month from now, when you're playing Alabama in the Iron Bowl in Jordan-Hare Stadium, you think you have something they can move the ball on, and, and, and just you feel like you have that confidence. It's not like you're you're searching for answers. You're you're trying to figure out what, what you're good at. By that point in the year, obviously you should know what you're good at, but for Auburn, you could at least – be in a position where you can show that, um, you know, out there that the tempo, Dan, I know, I know we had talked about it a ton. It was just good to see that again. And, and again, we, let's go back to what free said earlier in the week. We got to be more aggressive. And he said that he went into after the final drives against Ole Miss last week, he went into the staff meeting on Sunday and said, Hey guys, we're going to, we're going to play with tempo now. Like we have to, we have to do this. And they went out and did it. And, you know, better late than never, I suppose. I can see the I can see the logic behind not wanting to use it earlier in the season, but now it's at the point where you've got to do it. And to Auburn's credit, 
in a must-win game, they they finally did it. And and they were getting first downs, which helps with yeah. the with, with with any offense that wants to move with tempo. You know, Auburn was able to to get going after that. And I guess that's where, like, what did you see from the passing game and specifically Thorn? Uh, you know, if if you want to separate out the Mississippi State of it all, like what worked that you feel like could continue to work? You know, m- moving forward that you saw from this passing game. You know, Peyton Thorne, I think. I don't want to. I don't want to knock him, and I'm no quarterback evaluator. But I think Peyton Thorne's at his best where he gets the ball in his hands and he knows where he's going with it, and he lets it lets it loose. Now he did some he did some good things on the in this game where if it was an open scrambling, keeping plays alive, had a couple of good scramble drill completions, um, threw the ball away a few times. But I think Auburn, especially when you play a a, a susceptible secondary like Mississippi State, scheme up ways to get guys open quick. And then let him do some work after the catch. Um, I'm looking at it. Uh, Thorne had 230 passing yards, and 126 of them were yards after catch. So I mean, like they were there were a lot of dump offs, quick things, get it going. There were I, what I really liked, especially in the first half, is Auburn third and three, third and four, where it's like, yeah, maybe you could run it, but instead spreading the field and hitting guys over the middle uh, with it. You you didn't go a ton of two tight end, two running back sets. If you did go two running backs, that's Jeremiah Cobb playing out wide a lot, a lot more often, and you can kind of be versatile with that with that look. But to me, at this point, I have not seen Peyton Thorne be as good as catching the ball, looking, reading the field, and then letting it go. He's been at his best where he has gone fast and been able to let it rip. And Against defenses like this, you can definitely do that. And especially as we talked about heading into the game, Mississippi State's pass uh, pass defense, not great in the back end, but they had been able to get after quarterbacks. Really good sacks per game numbers. Um, State didn't have a single sack and and did not pressure Thorne a ton in this one. Um, This is one of the better pass-protecting performances we've seen from Auburn's defense all year. Or, I'm sorry, offensive line all year. It's not just about building momentum for the Iron Bowl. I think it's it's easy for people to forget Peyton Thorne has another year of eligibility. And if Auburn were to finish strong in, in this second half of the season, um, you know, you, you get the feeling may, maybe Peyton Thorne is more comfortable as the as the season goes on. And, you know, one of the things that as as we learn in the new transfer portal era of college football, like what works and what doesn't. I think one of the hardest things to do is something Auburn attempted this year, which is finding a quarterback after spring practice is over and bringing him in and expecting him to go out on the field and produce. You know, I think that whoever is playing quarterback for Auburn next year probably needs to be on the team before you get going with spring practice. And if Peyton Thorne can finish this season with some momentum, sure. you know, m- maybe maybe you look at him as a guy mm-hmm. who could be your answer next year as well. And that's you know that's valuable for a team that you know wants to uh, you know you, you don't want to be making wholesale changes every off season. We talked about it last week with the offensive line, but it's it's just as true at quarterback and wide receiver. Anybody who presents themselves as part of the solution next season uh, over these next couple of games, 
you know, I, that that could be extremely valuable as Auburn figures out you know, who they can count on and, and where uh, they, they might need to be looking in the portal. Speaking of the offensive line, we saw Auburn rotate on the offensive line. Uh, you had obviously Connor Liu uh, making his first career start. Not a perfect game for a true freshman, but hey, man, that's a true freshman playing the, one of the toughest positions on the field, which is go, which is center. It is funny. Auburn's had, you know, uh, I think outside of quarterback, Auburn's had two true freshmen this year have to start games in really tough spots, corner and center. Um, and and we saw Connor Liu uh, had a couple snap problems and things like that, but man, most of the time did a really good job. I mean, let's go back to this real quick, uh, Mississippi State. Over the last three seasons, Mississippi State has has gone sackless in only three games. Uh, 2021 against Kentucky, 2022 against Georgia, and now 2023 against Auburn. This does not happen very often. State finds ways to get after quarterbacks. And Auburn did a good job of identifying pressures, knowing where they were coming from, and just communicating really well up front to protect Payne Thorne and let him have a game like he had. Um but to your point about the offensive line, Dan, this is from uh, our friend Richard Silva. He pointed out that there were seven players on the offensive line on Saturday, the five starters, and then Jeremiah Wright and Jade Muskrat played at least 25 snaps against Mississippi State. They are still looking and moving and trying uh, some other things, and that's a good sign because, Dan, like you've talked about, Wright and Muskrat are two guys that could be back for you next year. Um, I am not 100% brushed up on what everybody's eligibility is across the offensive line uh, because some of these guys are super seniors. Some of these guys have taken their COVID year and all that. But we do know Wright and Muskrat have years of eligibility remaining. Connor Liu obviously does as well. You've got some other guys that have got some experience. So that even though Auburn might not be having them as full-time starters, and ideally you don't want to make a habit out of rotating your offensive line, Getting some of those guys that could be here next season and could be started for your next season, some experience in SEC games is a really good sign. And they were playing like like in the first half, like when things were going well on offense for Auburn. And the sign that like against a pretty good pass rushing team, you didn't give up any sacks while you were rotating offensive linemen. That's it. I mean, I, I don't know if you, you could ask for anything more than that from Auburn. That was a that's a really good sign for the future. Of of the guys we've seen a lot on the offensive line, I believe that Britton, Stutz, and Avery Jones are out of eligibility after this season. Yeah, I think Wade could come back for another Wade, year. Wade could come back, but he's talked about the NFL, you know, for a lot of sure. the offseason. So there's I think that's a question. But Miller too tall, too, all, too tall, yeah. obviously can come back. Right. Mil Miller, yeah. Miller, Muskie, Jeremiah Wright, Connor Lou, uh all have eligibility. Tate Johnson's uh, played and he's had yeah, Tate Johnson's played and he's had some he's had some experience as well. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised. I know we haven't seen a lot of him on the field this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Dylan Senda makes a push between now and the start of next season because he's been in the system for you know, he got he he's somebody where getting on the field this year because I mean this this is a guy who committed to Auburn a week before fall camp starts. Oh, right. No. You know, from from the poor like like the timeline for Senda this year is you know, that that's that's a real challenge, but give him a full offseason in the system and, and, and maybe uh, he's somebody uh, who, who makes a push. But no, it's it does feel like that's a position where uh, of late you've seen some productivity from guys who could be on next year's team. So Thorne obviously passing well, Auburn spreading the wealth among those guys. Let's talk 
quickly here about the running game. Uh, Jarquez Hunter, man, he is he's back. Uh, he's got the cowboy hat again in 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 pregame. He's had that the last couple of weeks, and um, he 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 has played really really well. Um, had a great game against Ole Miss, uh, and had a, had a great game against Mississippi State as well. Seventeen carries for 144 yards. Again, another big explosive run that Auburn had been lacking this season. That 50 yarder to kind of ice it, but he also had a 17 yarder on that drive. Um, other carries in this game that were successful. He had a seven. He had a few sixes and an eight. Um, you know, he 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 ran had an 11 yarder early. This is the kind of rushing performance you would have expected to see out of Jarquez Hunter coming into the season. He's looked more like the running back that Auburn, um, you know, Auburn fans expected to have. We had we've talked about how Tank Bigsby was a was a very special player because Tank you know, could do things tackle breaking wise that very few could. Uh, but Hunter is Hunter is starting to come on. Um, he, he said this after the game, he said it was a rough start talking about the season, had to get back in a groove and get back to some momentum in the second half of the season, I think is going to be better. I try to get better at practice. If I practice hard, I play hard. That's where it all starts. Freeze talked a ton about how this dude, despite all the struggles he had in the first half of the season, just kept working and kept grinding, and here he is, um, you know, playing pretty good football right now at a time where Auburn really needs him. You did get Demari Austin back. You got him some opportunities uh, in the passing game. Brian Batie as well, Jeremiah Cobb as well. But Hunter, especially when you're going fast, keep 27 on the field when it went and ride the hot hand, and they did just that. Really good sign for Auburn to have that. Uh, his first half, he had a 60% um, – Success rate, four explosive carries on the game, 21-yard catch on the two-minute drill where he hurdled a guy. Um, kind of just looked back like old Jarquez again. And that, as I think like Auburn is still going to be at its best, like with the receivers, when everybody gets involved, I, I still think that, however, a Jarquez hunter that is feeling himself and like really playing well uh, at this point, I mean, it just it, it it changes. It adds another layer to this offense because over the last two seasons, Hunter had been one of the more explosive backs in college football. Yeah, I I think that with Jarquez, we were uh, we we were sort of waiting for a game like the one he played on Saturday. And if it, if he'd gone the entire season without a game like that, you would have you know you you would have uh, spent the off season wondering, right? Like what. What's uh what what the state of Jarquez is? We don't know what kind of offseason Jarquez just had, but I imagine that if if he was away from the team for an extended period of time, which is possible, uh, when when you remember that he wasn't out there for the first couple days of fall camp and he, and he missed the first game, you know that can throw you off as a running back, and uh, you you can only replicate so much of a college football practice on your own time with your own coaches, and and I I think that maybe uh you know maybe it's it's understandable uh that it's going to take Jarquez uh or it took Jarquez some time to get back into the swing of things uh but Auburn needs him down the stretch and it was great to see Jarquez Hunter a uh, big part of what Auburn was doing on the ground uh, yesterday also pass pro he did a great job in pass protection state was blitzing linebackers and he he stepped up Peyton Thorne after the game made specific reference to how well Jarquez was playing in pass pro, and that's exactly what you needed. Painter, have you ever been a cowboy hat guy? Could you be a hat, cowboy hat guy? 
No, it would simply not work. Uh, I wish I could. <laughs> and I'm very impressed by the people who are not only brave enough to do it, but also capable of pulling it off. You probably need a certain aesthetic, um, which in the case of uh, ath- uh, athletic football players is easier to pull off. Like I, I, I think you just look better when you're super jacked. Uh, mm-hmm. Like so much is uh, you can just try more stylistically. Of course, the other part of it is if it's like true to your personality and like you're genuinely like a southern boy, then I think also you you can you can wear that. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, but on the field during the game, this is gonna be two quick little sidebars here. On the field during the game, you know, John Cohen's out there, um, you know, part of the recognitions that they do. Uh, obviously, yesterday, kind of a hot game for late October, pretty sunny. Uh, John Cohen loves that big hat. Have, 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 the, the big, the big hat that he wears. He is a bit. He is. He is like can make the big hat while also wearing like nice clothes work. I think very few people can pull that off. I think Dan, me and you, if we tried to pull off a big hat, it would just it just wouldn't it just wouldn't fit. That's why I thought Painter might have been a better fit for this. Well, John Cohen doesn't seem like someone who just put on a cowboy hat like last week no. and decided like like he's not someone who like went home from seeing Killers of the Flower Moon and like stopped in at like a Western supply store and said, I'm gonna get myself a new which and, you said you wanted to do. Yeah, I thought about it. Yeah, no, that's I, I thought about going to, to boot the old boots and jeans. Don, Don, yeah. Walk, Don Walker's Western wear could be getting a visit. Making a Western cowboy your new personality for a month or two. You know, yeah, I, I the, specified the, Western cowboy. Is there anything other than a Western cowboy? Surely there is. I guess there is because we've got Southeastern cowboys apparently yeah but i think we associate cowboys with the west right mm-hmm. and so you know the old the old west but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah cohen's got cohen's got uh uh I'm here, like a, I'm here i'm here to see about the murders like, you know vibes yeah. from from our guy yeah it, it's it's uh i don't know he, he pulls it off really well additionally yeah you can go down there uh to get down to troy and get your hat there's also that store in Valley or like close to Valley right off the interstate that has that has uh I can't remember where it t- technically bridges I think is where it is. Um but yeah, you could you could also go get your hat down there and boots as well. Um shout out to our guy Adam Cole. Uh he uh came came to uh came to the press box yesterday looking like he was working at a cowboy bar. I was proud of him. <laughs> uh, but the other thing I wanted to add speaking of um Speaking of the honor, the honor, honoring moments on the field, I don't know what, how, how I could say that better. Um, recognition. Um, s- several great Auburn athletes got recognized uh, during the game on, on Saturday. Maddie Penta uh, getting her, uh, you know, her time uh, at the stadium for being SEC Pitcher of the Year last year. There, Auburn also handed out the uh, Leah Rawls Atkins Award, which goes to like the best of the best uh, student athlete at Auburn on the field, off the field. It's like the ultimate award to get. Um, I bring this up to say this because I was look, I was looking it up during the game. Leah Rawls Atkins, they said over the, you know, Rick Smith said over the PA system, first woman ever to be elected into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. She went to Auburn. She married an Auburn football player uh, who also played in the, um, also played in the NFL. She was the director of the Center for Arts and Humanities at Auburn Forever. She's a historian. Uh, incredible, incredible life. I have this question I want to I, I ask y'all. 
Leah Rawls Atkins was the, the first woman in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Can you guess what sport she was famous in? It was it involves it involves the water, right? Like was she a was she a swimmer or a diver? Or maybe that predates swimming and diving, but I feel like it I I knew it was aquatic of some kind, right? Am I You're on the right track. Okay. Tanner, you want to give it a stab? Yeah, I, I don't have a better guess. I was either gonna go uh water based because of Auburn's, you know very strong swim and dive history or equestrian. I don't know how much pull equestrian has broadly. It's a good, it's a good guess though for, for, for an ag school, both. I mean, obviously y'all are, y'all are both on the right track when it comes to the, the aquatic life, but th- this is something that's going to take you by surprise. I think, uh, Leah Rawls Atkins won the 1953 world championships in water skiing. Yeah. She was a water skier. She was the best water skier in the world uh, for for quite some time. So that, that, that that's just, I I don't know how you could like make water skiing a collegiate sport. Like I don't even know how that if that would be even possible. But uh, I think Auburn should. Somebody asked me in the mailbag recently what sports should Auburn add like varsity sports. I'm I'm now throwing in a water. Like if Auburn just decided kind of like they did with equestrian, we're like, we're going to invent the sport of college water skiing because we have, you know, we have a, a history, a legacy to uphold. We're going to go for that. Anyway, I believe there, there are, I believe there are West coast schools with surf teams. So yes. maybe, maybe you would, I mean, you find some, you find some teams in your conference that want to, you know, put on a, a water skiing. lake teams. Yeah. 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 You got beach teams and lake teams. Uh, Andy Daly has a character who used to be a competitive water skier, and he talks about how big water skiing was in the fifties and how like people now, now we think of rock and roll as having ruled the decade, but people who were there know that water skiing was truly King in the, uh, in the 1950s. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not shocked to, uh, not shocked to learn that about, uh, about Rawls. All right, switch it back over to the game on Saturday. We need to talk about oh, the, it. The character's the character's name is Hot Dog. By the way, I should mention that as as part of part of the lore. We need to we need to talk about it. The second half of Auburn against Mississippi State, in a word, was Tubervillian. But uh, I, I best I, I think you could best say it. very conservative offense in the second half. Auburn didn't really do a lot of the same stuff that they had done in the in the first half against Mississippi State and um they get outscored 10 to 3 in the second half state almost doubles them up in yardage an air of frustration in the stadium and online at what was going on in the second half uh, auburn state never really threatened um they were down two touchdowns they came close to scoring one before that that fourth uh that fourth down stop uh, late in the game, so it never really got too too close for comfort. But I mean, yes, it's 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 the thing probably every Auburn fan was thinking during the second half and talking about here this weekend. Why did the offense get so conservative after halftime? I asked Hugh Freeze this because Freeze had said earlier in his press conference, "Hey, we probably could have gone with tempo a little bit more." He kind of hinted at that a couple of times, so I just asked him straight up. I was like, "Hey, do you think you should have been more aggressive in the second half?" And uh, his quote was, I mean, the third quarter, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we had one possession. Correct. And I don't know how many we had in the fourth. We were backed up in field position, though, in the fourth. So you can't be aggressive there and do something silly and give them a really short field where they don't take any time. So you didn't feel the wisdom in being too aggressive. He's correct. Um, 
Auburn's drives in the third in in the fourth quarter started at the fourteen, the thirty-two, the five, and the thirteen. So three of the four they were definitely backed up in the uh, in the shadow of their own goal post. That one at the thirty-two, um, I think they ran it three times and, and punted. Um, the one third quarter drive Auburn had, they did go forty-four yards in twelve plays, and they did kick a field goal. Man, guys, real quick, Alex McPherson, I mean, he as advertised. You know, you you, you wonder about. How you follow up the, uh, the the Carlson dynasty at kicker? Well, you go get the best kicker in the country, and oh by the way, his older brother kicks in the NFL, and oh by the way, he's from right here in your home state. So uh, McPherson's been excellent. Oscar Chapman continues to be great. Just a couple of slip ups and and trip ups in 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 the special teams, but for the most part, I think Auburn's had a a good to great special teams unit this year. We've talked about it. They need that as they go down the stretch. But yeah, the. The conservative play calling in the in the second half. Um, uh, looking at it here, Auburn only threw the ball six times in the second half for thirty eight yards, which is a little over six yards an attempt, which is solid. But ran the ball twenty times for three point nine yards per carry. That includes the fifty yard run late from Jarquez Hunter. It was it was uh, it was not working as what Auburn was doing in the second half was not working. Dan, your perspective on. Um, the uh, the ode to the two thousands that we that we saw in the second half from Auburn. A lot of it seemed to be a game plan that assumed Mississippi State wasn't going to drive the field multiple times and score. Like I think if Auburn if Auburn had been afraid of big plays from the state offense, maybe you get more aggressive in the second half and and try to score more. But when states struggling to stay on the field as an offense in their own right, Mike Wright played hard, but uh, I think there there are limitations there as far as what he can do as a passer, especially when his team is down multiple scores. Uh, I, I think that influenced Auburn's uh, uh, thought process. And uh, you had two drives where it was fourth and one, right? And I think Auburn, in, in, a, in a different game, Auburn may have decided uh, to be more aggressive. Yeah. I know there's one of them was at midfield. One of them was pretty deep uh, in, in the territory. I thought the most surprising play call in the second half was on the Auburn drive that starts at their own three. You have that play-action call on second down where if you go back and watch, Peyton Thorne turns around. in you know He's in the end zone. Mm-hmm. He turns around, and there's a Mississippi State player right there about to get, get his hands on him. And that, I mean, that could have been catastrophic for Auburn, a turnover uh, in, in your own end zone in that situation or a sack that results in a safety uh, giving State the ball. Like, that was the one where... In, in an offense that had been really conservative in the second half, I thought that was one play where Auburn uh, tried to get aggressive and it was a peculiar time to get aggressive and it, and it nearly cost them. But I thought that trying to seem like avoiding turnovers was the main goal of the Auburn offense in the second half. And, and I think some of that obviously had to do with a belief that state just wasn't going to be able to score unless Auburn helped them. Penner, what was going through your mind in the second half watching watching Auburn kind of throttle it down? Uh, no issues. I understand the the fan base's frustration. Going, oh, we you know we finally get to watch this offense. It's successful, and it's, it's certainly more fun to watch as a fan. Freeze's explanations, as far as I could tell, in, in the press conference afterward, made complete sense. You know, I I, I tend to agree with everything else said. In a different game scenario. Auburn is more aggressive against a different opponent. Auburn is more aggressive. And it proved that in the first half when it really won, it was was throwing the ball more. Um, 
that it was just the better team than Mississippi State. I have no issues with the game plan, especially when the result is getting a win. I'll say this, and this will kind of be my take. I wrote some of this in the uh, in the observations on, on Sunday. This is kind of my take on the situation. It is something you want to avoid, right? Calling out Mississippi State adjusted their defense really well um, in the second half. They countered what Auburn had been doing in the running game, and Auburn was just couldn't find a counterpunch until that last those last couple of drives that the last couple of runs from Jarquez Hunter, where Auburn does does tweak something and get gets a couple of good plays out of it. Um, you want to avoid stalling out as much as you did. You want to be able to run the ball more effectively. Uh, even you know in a situation like that, I get it. I think Auburn should have been more aggressive. I think Auburn should have thrown the ball more. I get why they didn't in certain spots. Um, you know, I probably would have run more than thrown it, but I would probably would have thrown it a little bit more if you know it was it was my thought process. Like Free said, you probably could have tempoed a little bit more in the second half as well. But the logic makes sense why you didn't. The thing there is is that. A lot of Auburn fans can look at and say, oh, man, this is, you know, and get mad about the game uh, and get frustrated with the performance. I think this one's a little different, though, because this is not one of those problems that you see is like totally like destined to be repeated down the road. It would be something if it's like Auburn couldn't do anything on offense in the second half while trying to do a ton of stuff on, on offense in the second half, right? It would have been different if they tried to do the same stuff they did in the first half against Mississippi State, and then it just didn't work. It's like, oh man, you couldn't counterpunch off of that. It's something you want to avoid for sure, but I don't look at that as a problem. Like, you played a game where you played an awesome first half of offense. The second half, mostly by design, some of it by Mississippi State's own making, um, you weren't as successful. That doesn't seem to be as forward spinning um, you know, as what we've seen the last few weeks for Auburn. So while it was frustrating to fans, while I get it, I understand it. I, I even have my own, um, you know, questions on whether Auburn should have been more aggressive or not. I get all that. However, <laughs> however, um, it is not, not something I think is necessarily something you would worry about could linger in the future. It would be different if Auburn was trying to be aggressive and trying to move the ball through the air and doing some of the stuff they did in the first half and wasn't able to do it. This was a completely different game plan for better or worse than the second half. And I would point out, we're, we're really talking about two drives in the second half. And there's, there, there's the third drive that starts you know, at Auburn's three. But I think that's one where it's totally understandable given the situation. And they to, throw on and they throw yeah, on and, that and, and move they, the chains. And, and, they, and they, well, they... Did they move the chains? I think that was a yes, that was and a, it gets called back, and it gets called back for oh, the you're right. that's, receiver downfield. Yeah, that, yeah. That's that's the play with the announcement. Yeah, you're right. Well, they well they throw on second down too, right? You have the play that mm -hmm. where, where uh, uh, Thorne scrambles, and then you have the uh, the, the player that, that gets called back as well. But but I would say on the two drives uh, where Auburn goes three and out closer to midfield, there's a Jarquez Hunter run that looks like it's going to be a big run. He's he's tripped up right right at the very end. I think that's one of the first runs that Auburn has. Uh, in in this in this stretch, and then you know Camden Brown gets targeted on third down and is what a half yard shy of, of the short. sticks. Yeah, and, and that's that's a play that if you get a first down there, maybe you're a little bit more aggressive on subsequent uh, plays in that mm -hmm. drive. So I mean, I, I understand you don't want you don't want Auburn to start milking the clock in every game when they have a 
seven point lead in the second half. But I think in this case, with Mississippi State's offense struggling with Auburn up uh, multiple scores and uh, given some of the situations, I mean, I, I, I mean, it would have been cool to see Auburn go for fourth and one, but it's maybe reckless uh, given the scenario for Auburn to have. I mean, I, I didn't really have an issue with any of the decisions to punt in the second half when uh, uh, when Auburn had uh, uh, fourth down and, and short yardage and and could have could have decided, you know, yeah, let, let's let's keep the ball and and try to go for it. But the counter to that is if, if it doesn't go well, you're giving Mississippi State a short field and increasing the chances uh, that they can come back in this game. Yeah, Auburn's execution wasn't great also in the second half, and there was some stuff that you could have cleaned up on your own. Got to be able to counterpunch a little bit better in the running game, maybe be a little bit more aggressive. But again, Auburn won by two touchdowns, never really got threatened. This is a team, uh, it just it's a different Mississippi State team. You know, you, you get worried a little bit when you see, oh, you get a big lead against State again. Ah, it's like, well, this is not a team running the air raid. Um, and 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 it's just a, a completely different look. Um, Philip Montgomery, um, there was questions like, like Free said after the game that, you know, he was going to throw that ball to 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 Frazier no matter what, make the call. Um, so the question was asked, hey, are you calling plays? Like, how, how's that going? And uh, Freeze did say this. Philip did a good job and so did the rest of the staff. It was a collaboration of everybody, but I was very involved in what goes on the call sheet within the pass game. And Jake Thornton, the, the uh, offensive line coach, usually is the most important in the run game. Once it goes on, they are the call sheet. I'm good with it, and I thought Philip called a good game on the plays he called. I thought he did really well. So no controversy there. A lot more collaborative process, and Auburn fans, that's kind of what you've been wanting to see from Freeze a little bit more here recently. First game this season without a pass attempt by Robbie Ashford. Uh, you yeah. wonder if maybe, uh, Th- I mean, part of the reason Thorne seemed more comfortable was that it, it did seem like it was his show. Uh, for for more of the uh, more more of the game without I know they did bring in Robbie for a couple of plays, uh, but but by you know by and large it was Peyton Thorne out there. Uh, Two as, plays as, for Robbie Ashford. Yeah, uh, it was it was Peyton Thorne. <laughs> by the in way, a, Jer- in a more tradition, you know, being utilized more traditionally as the as the sort of every down quarterback for a team. By the way, Jeremiah Cobb's only snap of the game, according to PFF, was the touchdown. How so, many? How many? Snaps a way to did, be efficient. How many snaps did VAR play? Aside from his his deep ball, I feel like I didn't see. 18. Yeah, okay. I I feel like I didn't see six yeah. out there all that often. Aside, they from rotated his, uh, a lot. Um, a lot of Jay Fair. I mean, just the the top wide receiver in snaps was Cannon Brown at thirty. Uh, Malcolm Johnson Jr. had a good bit of snaps as well in this one. Um, yeah, you're right. Not a ton from Robbie Ashford. Free set after the game that they wanted to get to a Robbie Ashford package, but just never really did it. Um, never really got the opportunity. And also, Thorne was doing pretty well keep in mind Auburn's two touchdowns in the first quarter 27 yards and 45 didn't even get in the low red zone there uh, at any point and then when they did get into low red zone in the second quarter uh, on the two-minute drill it's a two-minute drill they're trying to play faster not substituting um, so there you go uh, Peyton Thorne did play really well I, I again I think Auburn has a way to use Robbie Ashford could find ways to get him on the field for sure um, opportunities didn't arise as much, but if Peyton Thorne is capable of throwing the ball like this and Auburn's capable of moving the ball through the air like this, I think you need to go back if you're Auburn to what you wanted to do at the beginning of the season, which was have Peyton Thorne be your guy, have Robbie Ashford supplement that. And I think that's a, I think that's a good way to go for Auburn. 
We'll talk defense, but first, let's take care of some business. Hi, everyone. Um, if you like this show and would like more of it, you can subscribe to us at auburnobserver.com. There are buttons. There are links. Um, it's $6 a month or $60 a year, and I'm telling you, folks, this is the best time of the year to sign up if you haven't done it already because we're about to get started with basketball, Auburn basketball, back on the floor Wednesday night uh, against AUM in an exhibition game. We will talk about that uh, exhibition. Uh, there will be uh, our, our all of our observations, everything newsletter-wise, whether it is a mailbag, analysis pieces, uh, 13 for 13, all that good stuff um, throughout the week. We email everything out to you as soon as it comes out. Um, and we'll have more and more basketball uh, here moving forward because it's about to be a super busy time uh, around here. I'll be going to South Dakota for Auburn's opener against Baylor next week. Looking forward to that after the Vanderbilt game. Uh, but our next podcast will come out Thursday. We will preview Auburn-Vanderbilt on the football side. We will also talk Auburn basketball on the exhibition side um, where we will uh, discuss what happened between Auburn and AUM and just what we gathered from, those, from that game. Uh, so if you want to hear that podcast and you want everything else we got going on, AuburnObserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year, gets you everything. We email it out to you, every podcast, every newsletter, everything we got. And this is a time of year where you're getting a ton of stuff all the time because uh, we are about to crank up really with basketball season and football season in full swing at the same time. Also, you can help us out in another way. Painter, tell them about it. Rate us, review us, leave us five stars, follow the show wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps us out a ton. Like Painter said, wherever you listen to your podcast, give us five stars, and uh, it helps us out quite a bit. Also, ladies and gentlemen, we need to tell you about the fine folks at Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, the number one place to buy collegiate apparel. We're talking vintage T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. It's going to get cold this week again here. Get ready, gear up for it. Um, and also, you've got hats, quarter zips, joggers. Also had bomber jackets. And I believe, yeah, they sold out of those suckers pretty quickly. So if you missed out on the Auburn bomber jacket, um, they came out last week. They look really, really cool. Uh, and they already sold out of them. So if you missed out on the bomber jacket, don't worry. You can get bunch of other great stuff at home field with your Auburn logos. Um, a lot of, a lot of great stuff on the site. You're not going to want to miss it. And you can also get the, uh, Auburn observer t-shirt, uh, our logo on the most comfortable blue t-shirt you're going to find anywhere. Just go to homefieldapparel.com. If it's your first time ordering, use the promo code observer two, three for, 15% off your order. That's homefieldapparel.com. Thank you to Connor and the gang for continuing to support what we've got going on down here at the Observer. All right, all right boys, defensively. This Auburn defense is really weird, um, but a good kind of weird. And I say that to say this. This team, yards per play, not elite actually towards the bottom half of the SEC in a lot of ways. But scoring defense is really good. 
they're forcing turnovers. They're outside of the LSU game, and I guess the fourth quarter against Georgia, they've gotten off the field on third down a ton. It's not always pretty. It's not perfect. There are noticeable weaknesses and disadvantages on this defense, but man, 13 points. You give up 13 points in a game, in a game where the other team uh, had 11 possessions, you'll absolutely take that. Um, one of the big ones, as we always talk about on this here program, this game is about finishing drives. Finish your drives. That's what that's what wins and loses football games. Auburn uh, had five trips inside the Mississippi State 40. They scored 27 points on those drives. Mississippi State had five trips inside the Auburn 40. They had 13 points. There's your difference in the game. Auburn's defense, it ain't perfect. It ain't always pretty. But, Dan, this defense just gets off the field, and they have a tendency. Like, they they get they get momentum and string together stops as as – as well as any like bend don't break defense I've seen in a while. And, and I think as Auburn experienced as an offense these last couple of weeks, when defenses don't think you're going to be able to beat them through the air and consistently win one-on-one matchups between receivers and defensive backs, that changes how a defense is going to play you. That changes what kind of chances a defense makes. Felt like Auburn was comfortable getting more aggressive against Mississippi State, thinking State probably wasn't going to be able to consistently make Auburn pay through the air uh, for that. And But but no, you're right. The way Auburn was able to finish, uh, Vandy had, not Vandy, Mississippi State had multiple uh, third and short, fourth and short opportunities, and Auburn won uh, on uh, on a couple of those. I know they ended uh, ended a drive in Auburn territory on uh, on a fourth and short uh, that was that was near the end of the first half uh, mm-hmm. when uh, when when Mississippi State had an opportunity to get some points and instead uh, they can't and that one was puzzling because they ran the the QB draw right with with Mike Wright which, they can't like a power power and he slipped this last yeah, the, the last thing I would have tried on on a fourth and short because it felt like that was exactly what Auburn uh, was expecting but but no I think Auburn's defense uh, a couple of couple of individuals I'd single out. Um, Keontae was not just not just against the pass. I thought Keontae was really stepping up and, and making some big hits against the run. Um, no, not not just not just Keontae Scott, but he was the one in the secondary that I thought yeah. was was uh, was was really really noticeable. According to Pro Football Focus, Keontae Scott was targeted and coverage nine times against Mississippi State. Gave up twenty seven passing yards. That's an average of three per attempt. I'm telling you, that is elite type of football there from a nickelback. Also, he had five run stops. A run stop is a play where you make a tackle against the run game, and it is not successful by the terms of success rate. He had five of them. Eugene Asante had five of them. For a DB to make that kind of impact in the running game is huge. Dude had tie rope surgery last month, and he's back on the field making those plays. He is he is super valuable. If, if your MVP is this year uh, for Auburn on defense, if it's Eugene Asante at linebacker and Marcus Harris up front, it's definitely Keontae's got on the back, and especially when he's been healthy. So so impressed with the way he played. Glad you mentioned DeSante, uh, uh, who was also you know, flying all over the field. Defense, uh, the defensive line, it seemed like Keldrick and Marcus were always out there, right? And then they'd rotate Jason or um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think who else would be. Uh, uh, J- Justin Rogers. Uh, gonna, Zeke even, Walker. Even, Zeke like Walker played. Well. Uh, uh, 
Yeah. Um, let's see. You had a game on, on Saturday where, uh, see, Keldrick Falk, Marcus Harris led in snaps, shortly followed by Justin Rogers. Jason Jones played a decent bit as well. Zacchaeus Walker and Lawrence Johnson. That was your that was your D line rotation on Saturday. Um, here's the thing: Auburn's defensive line. It's just we've we've known it at this point in the year. Like they're 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 just not the front is just not going to win in the pass rush all the time, and or even most of the time. It's just not a not a super effective pass rush. Auburn did get a ton of pressure on Mike right when they and they were mostly coming from the linebackers. Auburn's leader in, leaders in pressures on Saturday were Eugene Asante, Austin Keys, and Marcus Harris. That's two inside linebackers and a defensive tackle. Harris played well. You hope. For Harris, he did he did have to leave leave the game uh towards the end with an injury. You hope he's okay because he's been such a big time player for Auburn this year. Guys made Jalen McLeod didn't have a recorded pressure on Saturday, but he did really well in run defense. Um set the edge quite quite well. McLeod's again, the, this is another Mc, thing McLeod's where it's like, the closest one on that play we just referenced where where uh, Wright yeah. stumbles on the fourth and a uh, fourth down. Uh, McLeod's the closest one to him. Uh, and, and I think I think in trying to evade McLeod, that that's that's when he goes down in the backfield and slips. So you don't want to give McLeod official credit, but he he was he was the one getting the kudos defensively uh, for that play. Saw Cam Riley uh, be very effective in his opportunities. Almost had an interception. Made made several stops uh, in the running game. Great game for him. Um, Even though he didn't get yeah, that I mean, interception, this is that, a bend that that Cam Riley play. That that was that was one where even though he yeah. didn't get the interception, that was a target in the end zone, um, and he was the one in coverage on the on that yep. guy. I mean, could have been a touchdown. A, yeah, that could that could have been a touchdown, and uh, another state touchdown changes the, the the second half of this game dramatically. Zion Puckett uh, gets an interception. He could have called for fair catch on it. Um, it was it was pretty easy. Uh, this defense has been all break, but again, that's kind of what we thought could be the case coming into the year. Um, you have not been a consistently great pass rushing team. You've had to blitz a little bit more, play your linebackers more, and get hey a, a healthy linebacker. Keys and Riley, and obviously Asante, Larry Nixon played a couple of snaps. When you when you have a defense like this, and Ron Roberts is used to blitzing and using his linebackers in a variety of ways, it can work. But it is been don't break because up front, not as elite, uh, not as strong right now as a, as as you want to be compared to the back end where Auburn's strength is their second. They have a lot of there have played a lot of football and have played it pretty well. Uh, I want to throw another stat out here from from PFF according to Pro Football Focus. Nehemiah Pritchett was targeted six times in coverage Saturday. He only gave up one catch. Um, Really, really good game for Nehemiah. Uh, and I think DJ James was only targeted once all game as well. So, I mean, it's you have those corners. They have a knack for getting off the field. Uh, big stat here. Uh, obviously, Mississippi State uh, goes a pretty surprising – I think it was 2 of 12 on third down. My internet has decided not to work on me while I'm trying to update these stats. But, yeah, this is what you wanted to do if you were Auburn. You want to get off the field uh, as as much as you can. Know that between the twenties, it is a knack for getting stops, stringing together stops. They 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 play with a lot of emotion. They play hard. Um, that's 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 going to be a that's going to be something that uh, the Tigers can continue to work on uh, here moving forward. 
clean up some of those issues, but get off the field is the big thing. And I think Ron Roberts is uh, every defensive player we talked to pretty much after the game was very, very, very high in praise with for Ron Robertson game he called on Saturday. N- nice to have Austin Keys back too, because that was a linebacker group that was shorthanded without him uh, for the first couple of games of conference play, and uh, it would be yeah, I think just get getting him back uh, for uh, for for not just uh, not not just the the last couple of games, but but for the stretch run uh, is is a nice boost uh, for for this defense. He was Austin Keys was a first teamer for most of the off season. And or at least since since he joined the team and being without being without him was a challenge, I think, for this Auburn linebacking core uh, for the first half of the year. Auburn's got to probably do a better job in the second half slowing down Mississippi State's running game. They did rip off some big plays, a good bit of chunk plays from Mississippi State in this game. They were very reliant on kind of all or none stuff. Auburn was more efficient on offense, which was a good sign, but can obviously take take those away. That's interesting for a game you've got coming up here. Games you got coming up here against Vanderbilt and Arkansas. Vanderbilt, not a very good offense, but they have been able to hit some big plays this season. That's the last thing you want to give a struggling team is hope. Um, and when you go on the road, uh, when you're playing in their place, even though I would imagine Auburn could have more fans in Nashville than, than Vanderbilt does. Um, and then Arkansas. Arkansas is an offense that has struggled even more than Auburn has this season. And the last thing you want to give those guys is hope by allowing big plays. So, Tying up some of that. Mike Wright, um, God bless him, man. He took a lot of hits on Saturday. And uh, the the quarterback from Mississippi State coming in, former Vanderbilt starter, he had a few awesome throws, and he had a few really rough throws, and it was just kind of up and down for him. But credit to him when he made the plays. State made some plays when they needed to to hang around. Uh, but Auburn's defense got the stops they needed down the stretch. And uh, that's, what, that's what you need from a crew like this. So... Uh, fellas, all in all, pretty effective win for Auburn. You win by two touchdowns and what felt like a must-win game for your bowl chances. Now it's pretty clear in front of you. Win one of these next two games against Arkansas or Vanderbilt and Arkansas. Beat New Mexico State uh, in a few weeks. You are bowl eligible. You will be playing another game uh, this season. And uh, players after game kept talking about it. Like you have real a real chance to potentially go into the Iron Bowl on a on a winning streak and, and some real mo- momentum. Painter, it's just like what you said earlier like you know, this this seat this game, this performance wasn't always perfect, but like has an opportunity to kind of change the season for Auburn and, and you got to be you got to be thinking thinking pretty positively about the Tigers coming off of this one. They took care of business when they needed to and they hadn't done that all year really. Hopefully it was a fun game. Hopefully fans enjoyed this one because it is uh, the season is quickly approaching its end, but it does seem like Auburn's going to do so with some uh, some positive vibes. Dan, any final thoughts from you on on, on the game uh, from your perspective? Well, I mean Auburn hasn't. I mean Auburn just hasn't won enough SEC games in the last few years to take a home win for granted, right? Like it's it's a. I mean a, a loss would have been disappointing for a number of reasons including what it might have done uh, for Auburn's postseason chances and I think I think that if you'd lost the game yesterday without knowing what's going to happen in the Iron Bowl the chance of going 0-4 at home in SEC play uh, was on the table uh, which is which is never something even even if you inherit a very difficult situation in year one you probably don't uh, you know you you probably have to it, it's going to be uncomfortable if you go 0 and 4 at home in league play in a season, Auburn's not going to do that because 
they held serve uh, yesterday. And uh, like you guys have been saying, you know, if Auburn gets if Auburn picks up some momentum in league play over these next couple of games, uh, the Iron Bowl's a home game. And if Auburn's got a pulse, it's usually pretty tough uh, for Alabama at Jordan Hare Stadium. Yeah, it's a potentially exciting turn here for Auburn. They needed to do this. Not only did they do it, they looked good while doing it. If they had to scrape together and came out with an ugly win, think you're, think the conversation is different today. Obviously, the second half isn't what you wanted all told for Auburn, but it was still enough to get a two-touchdown win. Uh, first time they've beaten a team by double digits in SEC play in a couple of years. You needed this one, and uh, you take care of business. I think also it does show you, and you get these next couple of games coming up. You might not be where old Miss is right now in the in the old SEC West. I know that's about to come to an end, but if you start stacking up where your program is compared to others and the mobility that you could have from it, you lose to A and M, lose to LSU, lose to Georgia. You got a chance against Alabama to kind of move around a little bit, but if you beat Mississippi State, you beat Arkansas. You're in a position where you're like, hey, we are not the bottom of the barrel in the SEC. This build is coming from more of a mid-tier range, and you feel a lot more confident in, in, in what you're selling for the future. Uh, another good recruiting weekend for Auburn, especially on the basketball side, and I'm sure there will be some news from that uh, here in the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, but, yeah, really good win for Auburn and a, a much-needed win. Take care of business when you absolutely needed to. Is is that's that's a big one. All right. Uh the rest of the week. Monday, we got film room coming uh to the observer. Tuesday, you'll get another newsletter. Uh Wednesday, you'll get another newsletter. Thursday, we will have um the observations from Auburn, Auburn's exhibition against uh, AUM. We will also preview the Vanderbilt game and uh we will also have um the uh, you know, we'll we'll talk it. We'll talk AUM as well from that one. Friday, I'm gonna go with a Friday mailbag this week. Um, I am gonna adjust the schedule a little slightly. Um, I don't know. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll we may leave it to a vote at some point. Uh, we will have mailbag and thirteen for thirteen on Friday and Saturday this week. I haven't picked what order we're gonna do them in yet, but just because basketball playing on Wednesday kind of pushed some things back. You will get 13 for 13. You will get a mailbag. We'll try to figure out what order they'll go in, especially with the Saturday afternoon game in Nashville uh, between Auburn and, and Vandy. And that's it. We'll be back later in the week. Thank you so guys so much for listening and for subscribing and supporting The Observer. It really, really means a ton. This is a great time again to sign up if you haven't done so already. I'm done. Painter, final thoughts. Uh, how was the food this weekend? Did everyone eat well? Did anyone have anything? Uh, was the press box food? Did it deliver? Can I get some information there? We had uh, we had catering from Waterburger, which is kind of new. Um, solid, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was different. I think they were really obsessed with the all Auburn all orange thing, and it was just like big orange boxes of Waterburger. I think was was kind of was kind of the move. I'm telling you, Painter, I haven't gone as hard this weekend eating. Um, because I know Halloween's coming up on Tuesday, and I I, I know I'm gonna be eating I'm gonna be eating some more candy and some and some other things. Like I'm 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 get, gearing up for that. I have a question for both of you. Favorite Halloween candy, and I'm gonna get the same question. I'm gonna give you the same question I got in the mailbag on Friday. We'll go one chocolate and one fruit based candy, like that you can get on Halloween. What what, what are we going with? I'm gonna vouch so for the chocolate. 
I love a, I mean, the, the, what's coming out of the Hershey company in general is usually, you know, pretty good stuff, but I like a, like just a yeah, I mean, just a, I mean, just the number one, the fastball, right? The, the, the Hershey's chocolate, like not just a, plain, not the kiss. Yeah. Not the kiss, not the crackle. I not, want the, I want the Hershey's milk, chocolate, no almonds, the little broken, like the, the little one square, right? The okay. one piece that you get. That's like one. We're talking. We're talking s'more supply Hershey. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah. I like. I like one of those in my really wow. only, only as Halloween candy. You know, not not going out of my way for a Hershey's bar the rest of the year, uh, but the Halloween season. The little yeah, ones like, hit. Yeah. 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 Love. Them. I mean, and and I'm I'm okay with a Mister Good Bar or you know oh, yeah. something like that too. But I but I love the love the little Hershey square. Can't can't go wrong with that. Uh, all right. Uh, do you have a fruit flavor candy that you that you ride for? You know, I I do love a uh, I do love a pink starburst. I do mm-hmm. I do I do love a I do love a pink starburst. You know, can't go. I w- I was saying for a long time that that all red pack of starbursts is like that. That's right up my alley of what of what I've yeah. been saying. What I've been saying the marketplace needs. I think I'll go with a Jolly Rancher for fruit, and it's going to come down between either a Reese's Cup or Peanut M&M's for me. Having a hard time making Ooh, the determination love, between either of those uh, chocolatey goodies. Oh, I love, but, I love, I love both those Jolly Ranchers. Is there a go-to Jolly Rancher? Like, is there a flavor that you're like I, I like more than the rest of them? Uh, I guess it's grape or purple, whatever they label it as. I, I, <laughs> the infamous purple. I do, I do want to jump in here with something. Like, so sure. So painter, it is, and and you're not the only one. It's not Reese's, like it's it's Reese's. Like I, it's, <laughs> his I, Alabama's I coming every, out. And I hear, no, I hear, well, no, and I also think that I, I think in part because because it rhymes with pieces, but it's like it's Reese's pieces. It's not it's not Reese's pieces. Like it's a it's a it's a thing that I feel like I hear that a lot. Like not just like but. But hearing hearing Painter call him Reese's yeah. made me think like it's it's a it's a thing. Just, I, I, I said it. Just, I said it for a just long boils time. Boils your blood. No, it was it was explained to me, and I go, oh okay, yeah, I guess I guess it is Reese's pieces and not Reese's pieces, even though I said that for a long time too. <laughs> I gave my picks in the uh, in the mailbag on Friday, but for those of you who didn't who didn't read it, um, if we're going straight Halloween candy, for some reason I don't know why, for some reason the the shaped Reese's. That you get in the holidays, so it's like pumpkins at 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 Halloween. They're eggs at Easter. Um, I think they do footballs at times in year. That may they have hearts at Valentine's Day. Those for some reason hit better for me than the regular cups, especially if you get some Halloween candy or you go. You know, obviously the 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 trick is November first. Go to go to Kroger, go to Publix, and just wipe them out uh, whenever you can. You throw those in the in the refrigerator. Get it, get them nice and cool. That's the way to go. For the fruit candy, I've said it before. My all-time favorite fruit candy is uh, peach rings. Not something you usually get on Halloween, though. So the Halloween picks, the little boxes of nerds that you can knock out in one shot. Yeah. That is that is my that that is my go-to. Oh, the the egg. I think the egg uh, Reese's cup has the right chocolate to peanut butter ratio. Yeah, compared to. The traditional, like the small peanut butter cup with the gold foil mm-hmm. wrapping that you'll that you'll get as a Halloween candy, or even the the larger uh, Reese's peanut butter cup. I think I'm I'm right there with you. I love the uh, I, I love when they break out the shapes. 
we're all about the correct chocolate to peanut butter ratio. If there's one thing that this company stands for, it's chocolate to peanut. And and once again, Dan, Reese's, not Reese's, but Reese's part of the beloved Hershey comp- company. They're just they're just doing great stuff these days. Thanks for your service, everybody. Everybody up there in Hershey. My eyes beheld an eerie sight, for my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, he did the monster match.